welcome. You've got mail. Welcome to the metaverse, everyone. This is Tech Stream. We are virtual. I'm a hologram. So is Shelly Palmer. And we are here for a hologram only podcast. And since we're audio, let's face it, we probably look better than we do in real life. Uh, <laughs> Shelly, CES has come and gone. Um, it was an interesting week. And, you know, you weren't there physically, but you were a major, major part of it. What, how would you size up the week? I think it was an amazing week on so many levels. CES was maybe 30% as attended as ordinarily it would be, which should surprise no one. The people that were there loved being there. The people that weren't there loved being home. So a little something for everybody. There were plenty of announcements, interesting stuff. Samsung and uh, Sony were were there in force and they had great stuff. We, we learned about BMW's new e-ink car that changes color on. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, yeah, we learned about. That's more stuff that I don't need. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> Ford talked about their F-150 Lightning, which will be the greatest truck ever. And Chevy answered with an electric Silverado. And we saw a lot of uh, autonomous vehicle tools and the you know we're getting closer and closer and closer to uh, being if not fully autonomous really close to fully autonomous in a very safe way uh, people always wonder is it going to be safe and the answer is safer because you, you can't distract a self-driving car you can trick it right i mean it's, there's certain circumstances well, where it's going to get tricked but can it's i can i put a pin in that real quick sure. I, yeah let me let me just ask one question Sure. Can a self-driving car drive an intoxicated person okay? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, because that's going to help a lot of people. In practice. You drive, yeah. If you drove to the bar, get absolutely blitzed, and know your car can drive you home, first of all, I'll call you Michael Knight, but second of all, that seems pretty smart and safe. It What's also, safer, a self-driving car or, or a drunk? And I think everyone's going to realize that when their insurance premiums go down, because the insurance companies look at this as a giant savings for them. And by the way, minor accidents, too, where people get whiplash or they, mm -hmm. they, they get hurt because of something that you and I wouldn't call life-threatening, but it changes the quality of your life. Mm -hmm. And you look down at your phone for a second because it beeped and you, that, it only takes a second. Self-driving cars don't do that. And right. so, you know, there's a lot of, of mythology and street lore about whether it will or won't be safer. But the way you'll be able to tell flat out is that when the okay. insurance premiums go down, you know, the insurance company, believe they're, they're pure numbers. They believe it's safer. It will be safer. Well, so when I get a, a self-driving car, I just wanted to play this theme throughout the entire. You held your big keynote i guess you could call it something well, that you a, normally do the innovation series this is your big show and you yeah. put together quite a show and it was airing on on your website and on youtube and everything tell me how that went that was fantastic at every level we were so excited to That's do it kick-ass guests we, we were very, very lucky to uh, have the support of Samsung and Meta, the company formerly known as Facebook, Advanced Human Imaging. We had, and you can watch this on YouTube. You can go to ces.shellypalmer.com. 
com and and you'll just get it um, you can see everything compartmentalized too it's a, v- a very good presentation thank you so we had michelle crossen from samsung who's their chief marketing officer we had vlado basanak who is the ceo of advanced human imaging that's a, a company that does really interesting b2b work measurement as a service through your cell phone camera it's just a fascinating way to think about your smartphone camera stephanie latham from meta who we're going to talk about in a second yep uh, Molly Spillman from Oracle and Jacob Cantelli, who's the lead of operations at MetaMask. We talked a lot about crypto and keeping your crypto safe and what MetaMask is. And it was, it was just, a, yeah, I mean, was, you, were hum- you were very humble. <laughs> you took it on the chin. <laughs> yeah. the hey, you know, look, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. My MetaMask got hacked and I still to this moment do not know if it was something I did or it's just some really clever hacker. And we're working on it. But the way I met Jacob Cantelli was when that happened. Uh, I reached out to the internet social and the, media, right? Yeah. I reached out to yeah. the internet and, and one of my friends introduced us and he's the lead of operations of MetaMask. And he reached out and he called me and spent like an hour and a half talking me through some of the stuff that might've happened. It was so informative. And I just wanted him to share his wisdom and his knowledge with everybody. So we had him too. The Innovation Series Summit, ces.shellypalmer.com. I, I hope that you'll go and watch. It's, it's obviously it's free to watch. And there's all some really interesting information there. Just just great people. We were very lucky. Well, watching it gave uh, me an idea about let's let's dissect some of this stuff. You know, the way you guys presented it, it was one interview after another, after another, after another. And I thought it would be neat to be able to kind of go back to some of the things that you address there and then break it all down. And I thought Stephanie Latham was the best uh, way to start she is the head of entertainment, tech, and mobile and connectivity at the Meta. Did, did, did I say that correctly? Yeah, at Meta, the company formerly known as Facebook. Before, I love that you keep saying that. I keep thinking you're a print symbol. Yeah. Um, what, is, uh, what is your connection to her? How do you know her? So Before uh, we hear from her, how do you know? Yeah, so Stephanie and I are uh, relatively new acquaintances. Uh, Facebook, full disclosure, has been a client and a featured partner of many of our events and industry uh, gatherings over the years. One of the things I love about having Facebook, now Meta, as a client and a partner is that they never ever shy away from the hard questions. And so the conditions by which I was willing to talk to Stephanie at the Innovation Series Summit were as follows. I am going to ask really tough questions. The questions are going to be, you know, nothing she could pass on. No. Does Facebook, does Instagram, does WhatsApp cause harm to young people? Yes or no? And explain. Uh, Does Meta all the companies that you met as the parent company now. So Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, do you guys put profit over safety? And then, you know, because they've changed their name to meta and they've made such a big, big deal out of the metaverse. It's like, okay, could you explain to me why anybody would want Mark Zuckerberg in charge of the metaverse? Let's go. So under those circumstances, they said yes. And they always do. They always agree to to answer the hard questions, and they did this time. So why don't we have a listen to Stephanie Latham and me go at it for a few minutes, then we'll talk about it. Stephanie Latham, the head of entertainment, technology, mobile, and connectivity at Meta, formerly known as Facebook. Welcome. It's nice to have you. Hi, Shelley. So great to be here. I wish we were in person, but I'm glad we're still together. 
Yeah, you know, we could be in the metaverse, but we're not. We'll get to that in a minute. Before we start, I have no choice. I have to ask you the question that I think everybody really wants to know. You guys have been all over the news. A lot of people have raised a lot of concerns about, oh, everything, specifically, though, around teens. Is Facebook, is Instagram, is WhatsApp, are any of the meta properties causing harm to teens and causing harm to people? Well, Shelly, you're certainly right. We have definitely had our fair share of headlines over the past year. And I think, you know, at the core of the ones that you're referencing, there's been a body of research that um, we did internally, that we regularly do research like this, always pushing ourselves, asking the hard questions. Um, this research in particular, Shelly, has been repeatedly mischaracterized, I think, and taken out of context. But, you know, for everyone tuning in, we've published this on our website. We're really transparent. Many leaders um, at Meta have talked about this extensively. But what I can tell you is, as a parent, I'm really proud of the work that we're doing to both keep teens safe online, but also support them when they're struggling, um, and also the tools that we're working to provide parents so that we can help teens develop safe habits online from the beginning. All that said, and I appreciate that, a lot of people think and a lot of people say that Meta, formerly Facebook, puts Profits over safety. And, and what do you want to tell people who are saying you guys are putting profits over safety? Well, I think, Shelly, you know, I've been a leader at this company for 10 years, and I have lived through so many examples where that has been the exact opposite of our decisions. And I think it's important that, you know, the core of this concern, I think, is fundamental, like, misunderstanding of where our commercial interests lie and also the mission of this company, right? People are at the core of that. Our community is the core of that, that every decision we need to make has to put our community first. Now, sometimes these decisions involve really complicated societal issues, um, but I think always um, you see us act with the community first and our business interests second. Stephanie, I hear you, and I think everybody hears, but we hear it a lot. You're doing the best you can. I is it enough? You know, Shelly, I think we will continue to lead the way here on so many of these things, but I, I think a lot of these issues are far greater than meta. Um, I think they're greater than the internet, and I think this is another place where this entire community and society needs to come together on, honestly, to fully be successful. I can appreciate that. All right. I want to move on to something that's fun. The term metaverse has been around at least since Snow Crash. I think that's when it was coined. But <clears throat> I'm not sure everybody knows what a metaverse is. So right there, what's a metaverse? Well, I mean, taking a, a small step back, and you've certainly talked extensively about this too, but we believe every 10 to 15 years, we see a fundamental shift in the dominant computing platform, right? And this is what we believe is going to be the next one, right? And I think where you believe that we're going to see this development of interconnected spaces and 2D and 3D worlds, and it's not going to replace our current experience, but it's going to amplify it. And this whole idea of presence is going to change and evolve, Shelley. So instead of talking to each other in this way, well, we're going to be able to experience things with each other without the current barriers that exist in the real world. I love that. I think I think that's my definition too. I think I would argue that that's what I think a metaverse is. Again, with Meta in the middle of this, the company formerly known as Facebook, uh, do I really want one company to own the metaverse? Do I need Mark Zuckerberg being the king of the metaverse? That doesn't make any sense to me. 
Well, Shelly, that is in no way our vision for the metaverse at all. And in fact, you know, Mark put out a really big vision on this at the end of last year for the exact opposite of this reason, right? We are just declaring this is where we see the world going and our job or our hope is we can help jumpstart that ecosystem, but this is going to require the co-creation of so many. Um, and I think it's an invitation for all to join together here so we can build this from the ground up. Uh, you know, I think a lot about how Meta and many other platforms were built on top of the internet, right? And we have been constantly in this game of catch up here. And the opportunity ahead of us with the metaverse is to come together and do this the right way from the start. So you see this as a collaborative process across a wide range of companies, not just a meta focused metaverse? Absolutely. You know, one of my favorite stats is I think in Q3, uh, 2019 earnings calls, there were maybe three or four mentions of the metaverse. And then this past Q3, I think there are over 350. So everyone's talking about it. I think the magic here comes from coming together on it so that consumers and people aren't stuck in individual metaverses, right? It's got to be one um, where we all come together. In other words, not a multi-metaverse, an actual metaverse that is for everyone. <laughs> That's so meta, Shelly. <laughs> it, it, it is. Okay, so when is the metaverse as opposed to the metaverses or metaversi, when do you think that's going to come together? When, when, when should people, normal people, expect to, to enter the metaverse, holistic metaverse, as opposed to going to Decentraland or going somewhere else? I mean, realistically, we're five to 10, maybe in some cases, 15 years off from like the full fledged vision that you heard um, Mark Zuckerberg, our CEO, put out there. That said, I think there are a lot of 2D experiences now that give you a little bit of a taste of where we're going. And I think a lot of the things that you can experience in the behaviors in 2D will carry forward into 3D. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure you're right about that. If you are a normal company, not you, but like normal companies, and you want to get ready for this, or you want to prepare for that, what, what are the steps you think they uh, ought to take? I get asked this, as you I'm sure would imagine a lot, especially on the heels of our, our announcement. I think there's two places that um, I'm really encouraging partners to think about and spend their time and energy. The first is there are a lot of things available in 2D right now, and there's a lot um, from Spark AR and filters and different things that consumers are using and adopting pretty heavily. So I think we always know that business behavior will follow consumer behavior. So encouraging partners to lean in and innovate and learn with what's available now so they're ready for the future and use those technologies now to continue to attract and retain customers. And then I think it's important to have an eye towards the future. This is coming. What it looks like is still a little ambiguous when it will get here. Like there's a lot of unknowns, but the need to co-create and collaborate here is really important. So investing the time in the research and in some of the new skills we're going to need to be successful has to happen now so that we're not in this catch-up game again. What are the brands? I mean, you're out there in the brand world every day. Are there brands innovating in a, an interesting way now that you could point to as examples? So many, Shelly. I mean, I think we're seeing this in every industry that brands are really starting to play and have fun um, with this idea as consumers are having fun too. Some of my favorites, um, fashion and beauty, right? I no longer have to order six different colors of lipstick from Sephora, right? I can try them on um, with a filter and decide. That may not be your zone, but you could try sunglasses from Ray-Ban or Michael Kors um, and, and see what that looks like on your face before you make the purchase. 
Uh, in hospitality, we're seeing Hilton use our headsets, our Quest headsets, to help retrain their employees as they navigate the new normal post-pandemic. Um, and that's, I think, been a really helpful tool. That also transcends into the education space, as you can imagine, right? There's so much to unlock here. You can appreciate this as a professor, right, that you can just take your students anywhere and you have access to everyone and there are no longer these barriers that exist. What's near term next for Facebook, for Instagram, for WhatsApp, for the meta family of companies? What are you guys thinking about short term and what should we be looking for from you? Well, I think you're going to see us continue to invest in a lot of the infrastructure that needs to be in place as we continue to learn for the future and for the metaverse. You're going to see more from us on live shopping. You're going to see more from us in the messaging space. You're going to see more from us in commerce and in many ways how all of that comes together. Fantastic. Stephanie Latham, who is, in case you're wondering, the head of entertainment, tech, mobile and connectivity at Meta, uh, as I say, the company formerly known as Facebook. Thanks so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Shelly. I hope to see you soon in the metaverse. All right. Great interview. Thank you. There were a couple of things that, you know, she addressed and it was, you know, it puts you in a, in a, in a compromising position because she acknowledges that there's a problem, but all they say is they're on it <laughs> and, and it, and it leaves you wanting more. And yes. I, 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 this is not necessarily Stephanie Latham's place to say, because this probably goes higher than her. And I'm not uh, denigrating her when I say that was a tease in that I, I, I get that Facebook or Instagram or Meta, if you want to just encapsulate them all, they all are on it. But the reality has to, at least from my perspective, has to be is that they need to start giving some suggestions and some results and some changes. So there are two things that she said that ring true to me and the rest of it sounded to me like the appropriate corporate answers, right? Because a lot of it was the appropriate corporate answers. This problem, as you've cited, is bigger than Meta, although Meta is the biggest and therefore has the highest level of responsibility. In other words, if you're the big, absolutely biggest thing in the business, and they are by, by far, I mean, nothing is the size of Facebook. Nothing's ever been the size of Facebook. Um, yeah, so they, they have to take the lead. They need to step it up. And to say we're doing our best, I, it, they've been doing their best for a long time. I've often said, Seth, and you've seen me write this at the end of so many different blog posts and so many different essays. If you want Facebook to be better, if you want Twitter to be better, if you want Snap or TikTok or any social media site to be better, then it's just a reflection of who we are. You got, call it, um, I'll use their number, 3.7 billion accounts on Facebook, Eesh. which is you know, a lot, there's some duplicates. Say there's, say there's 3 billion people, there's only 4 billion people on the internet, public internet worldwide. Mm -hmm. It's a reflection of those people. It's not, Facebook isn't making this stuff up. They're simply, they're simply a mirror that they're holding up to us. And it's a pretty accurate mirror. So if you want Facebook to be better then make kinder posts, don't call people, don't bully. Like we, each one of us has the opportunity to be kinder to one another. And the way I approach life, and you know, this is my personal philosophy. It's like, I believe everyone you meet is fighting a thousand silent battles, you know, nothing about. 
And so it's easier to be kind and assume that whatever is happening here is people are doing the best they can, because especially during COVID, everyone's doing the best they can. That, that, that's the simple answer. The hard answer, though, and let me okay. let me okay. take, take a shot at these guys. The hard wait, answer. Wait, though, wait, wait. Say it again. Say it again. Just say the hard answer, though. So I don't cut you off. The hard answer, though, is that because Facebook is the biggest by far, they have a higher level of responsibility. Now, the technology to fix what is broken is unimaginably hard. So if it was just about technology, I would give them a pass because the tech isn't there. It's not just about technology. And so they need to, to, to go out of their way. They need to do better. The good news is I think every person you talk to at Meta acknowledges that they need to do better. What I keep asking and what I will continue to ask of that organization, and again, we're very proud to have them as sponsors and featured partners, but you, you know, the, you, you only hurt the ones you love. These, we, I try to be as honest with my Facebook colleagues and friends as possible. It's like, guys, come on. It's like, you, when? Show me. Like, don't talk about it. Show me. Show me where you're doing a better job now than you were a year ago. Show me objectively with numbers how you have, have done a better job. And sometimes they are willing to make that, you know, true. And sometimes they can't. So we'll see, Seth. These are very trying times. I think we're seeing a very divided America. And people can't agree on objective truths. You say the sky is blue, someone's going to argue with you. And because of that, I have trouble when I am arguing either side of this. And believe me, I am not a fan of big tech or big social media, my clients notwithstanding. I'm not. I, I don't think on balance social media is good for humans. I don't. And they know that I don't think that, which is, I think, why they like talking to me, because I'm not a sycophant and I'm not a pushover when it comes to Facebook or any social media. It's like, I'm sorry. Tell, tell me why this is good for us exactly. Why well, no thought going unuttered is good for the world. Do you think she would answer this, this question? Do you think if Instagram required an ID and you had a minimum age requirement of 18 years old, would Instagram do it? And would it solve 90% of the problems that Instagram creates? I think that is a testable hypothesis without revealing any trade secrets or violating NDAs. I'm pretty sure this has been tested. Meta's ability to test ideas exceeds any other organization anywhere in the world. They need 100 million people to validate an idea. They can get that before noon. Everybody else has to go buy the research. They can just- No, no, I, I understand that. But what, what, what I'm saying is- In fact, by not, the way- I'm just, not saying that she has to answer that in this interview. What I'm saying is that theory, just take it away from the parents. I have talked to parents and parents and parents and parents. Your, you know, your, your kids, uh, your grandchildren are of the same age. Sure. I can't be the parent that takes Instagram away. I can't do it. I'm not, right. I, I, would, I, I would crush my kid. But if Instagram took Instagram away, my problem is solved. Yes. Look, I think this is a question that we have to answer societally. And there's too many ways to get around the problem. These, and also, by the way, Seth, purely philosophically speaking, 
-hmm. just take take meta out of this for a second. Our kids and grandkids are being born into a world where they are 100% digital, literally out of the womb. They are born into a world where they are the absolute definition of natively digital. Their ability to partner with these tools, whatever these tools evolve into, whatever search engines evolve into, whatever social evolves into, whatever uh, AI evolves into or machine learning evolves into where humans and machines partner. And we can partner with our smartphones. We can partner with our browsers. We can partner with our toaster ovens. We can partner with our stoves. We partner with machines. You partner with a hammer when you build a house. This is humans using technology. Their need to fully navigate that world, the world they were born into, is not something you or I or anyone should take away from them. What we need to do is be better digital parents. And this is the conversation I have with every parent and grandparent, because I'm the guy that you know people want to talk to about that in my circle of friends because of what I do for a living. So it's, you know, if I'm at a party or if I'm in a more recently, if I'm on a Zoom gathering, because that's what we tend to do now with mm -hmm. um, cocktails of our own making in our own homes. But <clears throat> when I'm when I'm talking to other parents and grandparents and I'm asked this question, because the kids have greater technical capabilities than the parents, and by the way, this has always been true, but it's it just feels worse now because parents are left and grandparents especially are left so far behind technologically. But if I I'll put I'm gonna ask the question to you a different way. Hey Seth, do you want to cripple your kids' ability? to compete in a world where someone who has learned the social norms of social media interaction from the time they were consciously teenagers or preteens to went to adulthood and they go out into the workforce and they have less skills or they are socially inept or socially ill-prepared technologically to interface with the tools that all of their contemporaries are masters of. Is that the right way to parent? What I easily could respond to that is right now I am comfortable because I know I know what my kid's doing on Instagram. Ask me that same question in two, three years from now when I don't like what Instagram is doing to my kid, I'll have a completely different answer. Or right now, right now or, what I would like is simplify it for us. Take Instagram and make it 18 plus. That's all it is. Right. It's and, so, it's so but, but, simple. And, and that would no, that would solve a pro, that would delay a problem, first of all, but it would solve a problem that that I'm sure you're right about. What problem would it create? Now we have digital haves and digital have nots. We're going to have look, it's going to be bad enough. The the digital divide is going to be bad enough right now. Uh, you've got and this is the the, the digital divide. It goes across race barriers. It goes across economic barriers, this it, uh, geographic barriers. This is, I think, one of the greatest problems of our day. I'm, I have a house uh, uh, where we are, a ski house up in, in Vermont. And like so many ski resorts in the Northeast, the houses on the property of the ski resort are you know nice and expensive and all that but you know the houses in the surrounding town are maybe not so nice um and the economic uh, realities for the people who visit the resort and have second homes there is one and the people that live locally and have four jobs uh, there's something else we 
have lived up there for years and years and years and become part of that community. And what I can say with no hesitation is that in households where there's no internet available because of how rural it is, right, right. where where when we had, when COVID hit and the schools were closed and you had four kids in a household trying to use a 20 megabit by by three megabit up connection where there was no smartphone connectivity in the house and they couldn't leave the house. This disadvantaged these children in ways that they're never going to make up. This is this, this was a year of their of their schooling, a year of their education, a year of their social interaction that was taken from them. People who lived in places where they could get the connectivity or had the economic wherewithal to solve for this, or the parents were white collar workers who understood the value of digital and had the means to go adapt the house appropriately because they understood how to do it. I want to tell you that this was much more than just a year of sitting things out. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about the problems parents have today, there are a couple of things that I think about the future. If I look at my own childhood, what didn't I know? What wasn't I exposed to that I needed to overcome as a young adult, then adult? What were my knowledge gaps and where were they? If I'm honest with myself, Yes, there were vast knowledge gaps, but they were not insurmountable sociological constructs. They were not insurmountable societal interface constructs. I wasn't brought up in a way where I couldn't say please and thank you. I wasn't brought up in a way where I could not communicate sociologically. I was brought up in in a place where I learned to interact with others using a baseline communications technology, the telephone on the wall because it was a wall-based wired telephone, the television set, which was one to many. And I wrote letters. And at the very beginning of email, I was lucky enough to be part of that. I was lucky enough to be part of the telnets and the BBSs because it was happening right when, right when it all started. I was, I was able, I was lucky enough to be in that world. You raise a child now who has no digital capabilities. That child is socioeconomically disadvantaged you may not think so, but th- we're talking different level. And if you take away the ability to learn to partner with AI tools, which are now becoming ubiquitous everywhere, where, and what do I mean by that? Something as stupid as Waze is you partnering with AI, mm-hmm. right? Google Maps, you're partnering with AI. The autocomplete in the email programs, you're partnering with AI. Spell check isn't AI, but it, it is a partnering with a database. It's partnering with a machine. Uh, so th- these are very simple examples, and you can and you could push back and say, well, that's all nonsense. It's like it's not nonsense when I think about what are the skills uh, that I'm going to need from our children and grandchildren. And if we still live in a capitalist society where productivity is the key benchmark of success, meaning the more productive you are, the more successful you are likely to be economically. Now, you may have other benchmarks for success. They, those benchmarks could be family time, could be you know, time with loved ones, could be doing something you're passionate about. I'm not saying that economic success is the only success, and I don't want to be blamed for that uh, or, or hated on for that, but I, I am completely sure that if the measure or a measure, a metric, 
is uh, financial success, then productivity is the singular key to that or winning the lottery. So if you're taking away someone's ability to be more productive than their competitors inside the competitive set, which in which they will grow up, you're taking something away from them. Now, I've had parents push back really hard, Seth. I mean, really hard and say to me, well, Facebook's not really teaching them anything. It's about to bully each other. It's like, um, I don't know. In sixth grade, I learned a lot about that on the, on the monkey bars. I, from a couple of very large kids who I would have thought were in ninth grade, but they were sixth grade contemporaries of mine. And, you know, that, that shellacking I got for lack of a better term, um, that bullying that, that I survived taught me a lot about life. Right. It was physical. It was pretty hardcore. Um, I'm going to call them out just for fun. You're going to know the name. <laughs> the Cooney brothers lived on my uh, blog. Jerry Cooney. Guys. Well, I don't hate them, but Jerry Cooney uh, is uh, not the boxer. Yeah. The boxer three years oh. older than me. Oh, okay. They're a bunch of brothers. They, I, I went to Birchwood elementary school in Huntington, Long Island. And, and they lived, and I was what they call a walker. I walked to school every day. And, we all gathered outside the school before the school doors opened because you got there early and then school the doors would open and you know jerry's a great boxer but he practiced on me and my friend jeffrey and a bunch of others and during it was just that was and and his manager rennie cohen i remember rennie would these two kids and the cooney brothers you know jerry and i of course as adults became very friendly but when we were kids Man, he was a terror. He was just a terrorist. I mean, he was a schoolyard terrorist. What did I learn from that? I don't know what I learned from that. I learned to survive in that environment, which wasn't that much fun. And you'd think, well, wow, how could suburban Long Island be that dangerous? It's like, it's not dangerous. But when you've got a guy that's going to become, you know, a world-class boxer beating you up, beating you up in the morning when you're on your way to third grade, you know, like that's a thing. So I don't, I'm, I, I'm not trying to compare my own experience to anybody else's past the point, but I am trying to say that we've, everyone has in their day had to adapt. And my argument is that you need to be able to have your kids adapt to what this is. They will need the skills. They will need the skills to adapt because this isn't going to go away. And Seth, it, they're not going to delay the internet till your child is 18 years old. They're not going to delay the metaverse till your child is 18. They're not going to delay technological progress. And you can't, when, when a brain is plastic as a child's brain is, yes, they may be too young at six, seven, eight, nine years old to have a smartphone. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. These, right. these are not young adults. They're not little grownups. They're children. But after they get to a certain point, with some parental supervision, we need to teach our children to live in the world they're growing up into. And it's digital and it's scary and it's not as easily understood. And I know this is controversial. And by the way, I'm not letting Meta off the hook under any circumstances on this one. They're not doing enough. And the fact that you need to say to me, I need Insta to start at 18 tells me they're not doing enough. They just aren't. And so, yeah, you know, I'm glad Stephanie was on. And look, Adam Mazzari, you know, you and I talked about him. He's the head of Instagram. When, when he was on the Today Show and yep. did that interview, I was like, what? Or No, that it's just not acceptable. And I, I think they're trying. I want them to do better. I know you want them to do better. And by the way, if you're listening to this and you want them to do better, send us a, send us a you know, tweet to us or DM or send us an email. You can find me at Shelly at ShellyPalmer.com. Write me a note, you know, or sh- at Shelly Palmer. Just just send me a DM. Tell me what you think. I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. And I'd love you to push back. If, it, if I'm not right about this, if you think that I'm out of my mind, by the way, I might be, 
please. I, I'd love to hear the counter argument. This is a what I lovingly call a Socratic debate, right? We're trying to find the best ideas. We're not trying to just push mine or just push Seth's. So yeah, bring it. Let's see if we can come up with a good suggestion for our friends at Meta. Usually what I say is uh, reach out to Shelly and leave me the hell out of it. But this one I'm interested. In. Yeah, no, it's a good, it's a good topic. It really is. Well, what we'll do is we're going to dissect other aspects of your uh, CES uh, interviews, and we're going to do future podcasts on them, on their innovation series. And uh, we'll be looking at a lot of these topics as only we know how to do. Uh, sounds great. That was a, that was a great fir first shot. As CES now goes into the rearview mirror, we've got a lot more tech stream to come. Have a good week, Shelly. You too, Seth.